Many times I've uh, shared with you from things that go on in history and things that go on in current times. And when we are on a certain time on the calendar, I stop and I sort of bring that to our attention and uh, allow us to sort of get a deeper perspective of some of the things that are going on on the global scene as well as how they relate to us specifically. Today I want to talk about something that's a little bit similar to that. Uh, I want to talk first of all about something that happened right at the beginning of all time. When God created the heavens and the earth, we read this in Genesis chapter 1, and I've shared some of this stuff with you before, so it might be a repetition for some of the initial parts, but the, the point that I'm going to be making is coming from Genesis chapter 1, and it's about lights in the heavens. On day four, we read these words. After the third day that God had done what he had done and he had finished, uh, we come to the point on day four where he says in Genesis 1, the Lord spoke and said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them, these lights, let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to be to give light on the earth. That's something that's very easily read and passed over without really grasping the magnitude of what the Lord is communicating about how He wants to shed light on earth. Not just light to brighten the sky, or light to give us something to be able to look at things under and understand and see. But I think that there is a deeper thing in here where he is imparting light or understanding or enlightenment to the people of the earth using these things that are in the heavens as lights. So he talks about lights. He talks about lights that are set in the heavens And what do we call those lights? Well, if you're a person who studies astronomy, not astrology, but astronomy, when you look at the sky, you will see the first thing that you will see, the closest thing that you will see to us is the moon. If you go a little bit further, you'll see the sun. If you go a little bit further, you'll see some heavenly bodies, heavenly bodies. You will see things like the planets and all of these other things that are set there as parts of the system that is created by God and that is constantly in motion. And these lights, he says, he says, are set to be signs. Every time we get onto the highway, if we're driving along on the 401 and we're heading towards London, Ontario or Windsor, as we're going we look for markers along the road to help us understand where we are in our journey to our destination. Signs serve that purpose. Signs help us understand where we are in our path. Signs help us understand if we have to yield, or if we have to stop, or if we have to watch for slippery roads, or for falling bricks, or falling, not bricks, but rocks, if we're driving next to a mountain. All of those things are signs to help us in the journey. So the Lord has put these signs, these lights, in the heavens for us to understand 
And he says, what these signs are for, and then he later on at the bottom of that verse, the two verses that have gone on the screen here, he talks about them as being lights for the earth, lights on the earth. They are to give us an understanding of where we are in the timeline of history. They are to give us an understanding of where we are in the cycles of humanity and what is going on all around us. Without signs, we really don't know where we are. If you go into a school building and you're trying to get to your classroom, without the signs on the doors, you won't know what classroom you have to enter. I mean, we got used to signs so much from our childhood that sometimes we forget the importance of them when we take them for granted. And I believe that that's what happened with us, humanity, with regards to the signs in the heavens. Signs have been very important for all of history because people would look at these signs in the heavens and they would understand some of the times that God had prophesied in the past. One example is the Magi that came from the east. They followed a star in the heavens. It was a sign for them to know where to find the king of the Jews that was born in Bethlehem. It was a sign for them. They understood the fact that God had created these signs in the heavens to become lights for us on the earth. I mean, if you think about it, the stars don't really light the earth in terms of brightness. They light the earth in terms of helping us understand seasons and times. And this is the next part. He says that these are to mark sacred times. Sacred times. You know what the word sacred means? Sometimes we get confused and we think that sacred means something that belongs to religion. Something that belongs to churches or to the church, or to the synagogue, or to the mosque, or something like that. Something that is holy. But the word sacred and the word holy in and of themselves simply mean set apart. Separated for a specific function. So in other words, if we read it with that understanding, he's saying that there are signs in the heavens that will be to mark set apart days. Sacred, holy, set-apart days. Days that are uniquely marked. Marked by who? Marked by the clockmaker himself. Marked by the one who has created all of these signs in the heavens. And they are to mark days and years. In other words, there are seasons that happen according to God's preordination. Now that's a controversial subject. Does everything happen according to God's purpose and plan and it's on a timeline and we have nothing to do to change it? And we're stuck, we're puppets on a, you know, on a string and he's the puppet master and everything happens? Absolutely not. He has given us free will and we function within that free will, yet we function in that free will in the same as a student functions with total free will in a classroom. In a classroom, there's a calendar that's set. There's a schedule that's been prepared by the school board and by the teachers and the principals. And in that calendar, there's a time where school starts. 
There's a day that school starts. There's a year that you enter into. And those are specifically marked times, sacred times according to the school program. They're sacred because they're specifically set aside. There's the first day of school. There's the first day of junior kindergarten. And there's the last day of high school. And then there's the first day of university. These are sacredly marked, not sacred in the sense of holy in terms of set apart to God, but they are set apart as days on the school calendar. And then there are times in between there. And then you have the freedom as a student to align yourself with those dates or not align yourself with those dates. There's a time where you have to submit a report. If you don't submit the report on time, you may lose 10%. Or you may not receive a mark at all for it because it's not acceptable. It's the same with us. God has a specific timeline. He has given us free will to choose if we will align with that time or we will misalign with that time. But the timeline is there. The timeline is set. And as a matter of fact, he says about a specific day. And that day was marked before the foundation of the earth. On that day, in God's mind, the Passover happened. But when he announced this, and he spoke this into existence, and he spoke, let there be lights in the heavens and let them mark specific days and let them be signs to give light on the earth. He didn't expand on it there, but it was in his heart and in his mind. And later, he started to unravel this. And in the times that passed, during the years that came, he started to unpack this and help us understand it so that we can grow with him in the application of it. So there you have it. Genesis 1, 14. And 15, he says these two things. That there is lights in the heavens, and that these lights are signs to guide us in the journey, and markers to mark appointed days, times, days, and years. And this combination of signs and markers is to give us light so that we know how to walk our journey. That's why the Word of God says that thy word, your word, is a light unto my path. It guides my footsteps. Without that light, we're lost. We're not able to really understand. We feel like we're just living a day-by-day life or a year-by-year life and we are just waiting. You know, you're born, you grow up, and then eventually you die. It has no meaning otherwise, unless we fit it into the timetable of God and understand what He is doing and better understand the value of each day of our existence as to how it fits and aligns with God's purposes. So let's talk about signs a little bit. What are signs? Well, some of us may have seen a clock like this one. I think I'm pointing in the right direction. Yeah, a clock like this one. If you look at it closely, it's probably small, but if you look at it closely, it has a face, and on that face it has two arms, and those arms move, one rotates every hour, and one rotates every 12 hours. On some clocks it rotates every 24, but those are rare. But on this one here, this old grandfather clock, it's an antique, If you look above the round face of the clock, you'll notice something a little bit different. 
you will notice that it also has a couple of other pictures, one for day and night, and one for summer and spring and winter and so forth. So whoever created this watch understood that there are cycles and those cycles are uniquely measurable and they created this clock to actually display all of that on its face. Some of us have watches on our wrists that can do that. Some watches show you uh, the time of day and then if it's day or night and you can see the face change. Some of us have watches, if you have some sophisticated watches, they've got little dials in between that shows you the day of the week. Remember those old watches? They're not that old. But they used to have a little lens on it. And on that lens you can see that it shows you the day of the month or the day of the week. And they function in the same way as the mechanism that God put into the heavens by using gears to rotate according to a certain frequency and to bring about a specific time. So on a Sunday, that watch that has the day and date would show you that that is the appointed day to be Sunday. So God has put all of that. So in other words, on day four, God created a global clock. And this global clock fits all of humanity. It doesn't matter what race you're from. It doesn't matter what religion you're from. It doesn't matter what generation you're from. It doesn't matter what century you're born in. It doesn't matter what millennium you're born in. That global clock governs all activity on earth. We've tried to measure and create understanding for calendars. So we came up with a calendar that's a monthly calendar. We call it the Gregorian. That's the calendar that we use now in the West. It has 12 months. It has 365 and a quarter days. And every four years we add one more day, so it becomes 366. But all the other three years are 365. And that closely matches the cycle of the sun and the earth's revolution around it. 24 hour days. And that's generally the accepted duration of a day. It doesn't matter what calendar you use. Even in the old calendars that, or the clocks, the sundials, they understood that the sun would go around and that would become one day. There's another calendar which is the lunar calendar that's based on the cycles of the moon. But the calendar that God talked about and gave later, He used to teach Israel based on a calendar that He gave Israel was not the lunar, it was not the solar, it was the biblical calendar that's based on a 30-day month. And in that calendar, He gives Israel a lesson to understand better In other words, he is now causing the signs and these lights in the heavens that are signs and appointed times, markers. He is using those to give light to the people of Israel. But in so doing, he's also using them as a type for us. A type in the Bible, there's many types. The word type means an illustration of a truth that is later to be revealed in fullness. A type is a foreshadow of a reality that will be later expanded and totally revealed. It is usually surrounded by a mystery of some sort. The mystery of salvation. The mystery of the lamb being slain before the foundation of the earth. That lamb was slain in God's mind on a very specific day of that timeline. 
a very uniquely marked day, an appointed time. So he speaks to Israel with these things, and he gives Israel this lesson, this object lesson on the clock, this global clock, and he says to Israel that I will mark specific days, and those days will be feast days for you. You will celebrate on those days. You will stop from what you're doing. You will have a look at them. And you will manifest my glory in those days among you. A lot of times in the New Testament era, the church has washed away anything to do with Israel. Anything to do with the Old Testament. So we really don't focus on the Old Testament in the way we should. Because it's foundational to the understanding of the things that are happening in the New If we miss it, the things in the new don't make the full sense that they have to without the old. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the old, but to fulfill it. In other words, all the things that are in the old were the foreshadows. They were the types of the fulfillment in Christ in the new. And the type actually helps us, just like a metaphor, understand the reality deeper. So when we look at the calendar of God that He gave Israel, there are practical lessons that we must gain to better understand in our mind and in our heart, the mind and the heart of God, to grasp the fullness of the love that He has for us as humanity and how He wants us to deal with Him and us and Him to deal with us. If you don't understand why your teacher is giving you an assignment that's due Friday, September 28th, if that is the right date, I don't think it is, Friday, September 24th, I think, is the right date. Is that correct? Anybody? Just nod or whatever. This coming Friday. If there's an assignment that's due then, the teacher has marked that day for you to understand, the 25th. If you, if the teacher has marked the Friday the 25th as the date that your assignment is due, it's because the facts that are involved in that assignment need to be digested and understood before they can teach you the things that they're going to teach on the 26th or the 27th, or the 28th, whatever the day Monday is. So there's a specific order. And if you don't understand that order, you're not going to get the full value of the education. You might pass. You might graduate. But you may not have grasped the fullness of what the Lord is giving you, or the teacher is giving you in the classroom, if you don't understand these things. And most students don't. Most of us have gone through high school, especially math. Why do I need to learn calculus? I'm never going to use it in my day-to-day activities, unless you're an engineer or a doctor or, or something that uses it. But for most of us, it instills a value of understanding systems and, and, and methods that has benefit if we grasp it. But in the things of God, they're not like the things of the school. They have value. And they help us understand the fullness of our experience. And God wants us to walk in them. So when God put this global calendar or global clock into motion, it spins and it goes through cycles and it repeats itself every year at a different time in in the Gregorian calendar. We come to the year's fullness or this date or that date. But the, the, the things that he gave Israel, the, the calendar that he gave Israel to better understand this cycle of the marked days was the calendar that he instituted, and we find this in different pages of the scripture. One of them is very nicely spelt out 
in Numbers or Leviticus or in Exodus, in that portion of the Old Testament called the Torah, the books of Moses, you will find these details. And there are two types of feasts. The feasts that are there for the springtime, and you may have seen, remember seeing the slide from back in April. I shared with you back in April when we were just all living at home and everybody was meeting on Zoom from home. And none of this was behind me. It was just our wall at home, like we're still sitting now. But from home, I shared this very slide with you. And I showed you that the spring feasts are these four feasts. They start with the Passover, and then there's the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the First Fruits, and Pentecost. And last Pentecost, I shared a little bit with you about what Pentecost represented and how it fits together into a timetable or where God is, is bringing things to bear on Pentecost as far as his relationship with humanity, him wanting to us, to us, us and him to fall in love and to become husband and wife and he wants to manifest his glory in us. But now we come to the fall feasts. So I want to take a few moments and talk about the fall feasts. The Feast of Trumpets is actually where we are on the calendar yesterday, the day before, and today. This is an appointed time that was set into motion. Don't think of Israel. Think of the global clock God put into motion at the beginning of all time. He just happened to use a nation that he called out of all the other nations of the world. Actually, he called one man, Abraham, out of all the people of the world. He called Abraham and promised him a few things. Among them is that he would be a father of a great nation and that this nation would be a light to all the other nations. Just like there's lights in the heavens, this nation is to be a light amongst the other nations. That nation is the nation of Israel, the grandchild of Abraham, if you will. Abraham, Isaac, and his son Jacob. Abraham had a son Isaac, he had a son uh, Isaac had a son whose name was Jacob. Jacob, later the Lord, changes his name to Israel. And Israel, Jacob, had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of this nation called Israel. Their cousin, Ishmael, is the father of many of the Arab nations. And today we find that the family of Abraham is actually in conflict for hundreds of years. And recently, in the media, you've been hearing about something that's happening to bring peace within the family of Abraham, and President Trump, Benjamin Netanyahu, and the uh, external affairs minister of uh, uh, the Arab United Arab Emirates recently signed a document declaring peace amongst the children of Isaac, in other words, Israel, and the children of Ishmael. This is just the beginning of something that's happening on God's timetable, to bring a restoration of peace between the family of Abraham's children. And that's why they called it the Abrahamic Accord, the Abraham Treaty. And they signed it just a few days ago. This is historic. This is a restoration of a family that has been in conflict for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And the beginnings of the peace that's now bringing that family of Abraham Arabs and Jews specifically, into a peace that is supposed to establish something amongst the nations. 
So Abraham had been promised something. And in this promise, his descendants later are given this calendar. This timeline that you see. And in this timeline, there's one feast called the Feast of Trumpets. If you read the listing of the feasts described in the Old Testament, you'll be fascinated as how God speaks about them. I'll come back to that. But there's other feasts that are coming up. So on the first day of the month of Tishri, this is now in the month of Tishri. Today, I believe, is the second of Tishri. So we're on the second day of the month that is supposed to be the month of all the feasts of the fall. And there's three different feasts that are happening. There was one yesterday called the Feast of Trumpet or Yom Teruah in Hebrew. There's another one coming up which is called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And that's the day that the high priest goes into the the tabernacle at the time or the temple at later and today it doesn't exist so there's no high priest going in because already that veil has been torn. Anyway, I'm running ahead of myself. But in the Old Testament, the high priest of Israel, actually Aaron, the brother of Moses, would go in once a year on this day to stand before God and to make atonement, to shed blood, present it on the altar, and ask God's grace and forgiveness over the entire nation. National repentance is happening. National realignment is happening. So that the next thing that happens is they can celebrate tabernacles. On my way down here today, across down Bayview, I came across two different synagogues. And they're beginning to build their, taber- their tabernacles or their tents or their sukkahs outside their, their synagogues in preparation for this day. This day happens in almost two weeks. So in these three different weeks, from the 1st to the 15th, there is different things that are going on in the Jewish community. But don't forget, it's not about Israel. It's about the timetable that God set into motion before He even put Israel on the map. Before He even had a covenant with Abraham. God had set these timetables into motion. And the evidence of that is that the Passover lamb, his son, Jesus, was sacrificed on the Passover exactly as this calendar shows us. God had already set apart these days as markers. So on those days, specific things will happen. What we don't know is when he will fulfill the fulfillment. He will bring about the fullness of the fulfillment of these three feasts. We know that there is a day that the trumpet will sound. And he will gather his people from all over the globe and all over time. We know that that day is coming. When the return of the Lord will manifest. When atonement will be made for all of humanity. For all those who will align themselves. And there is a day that's coming that will be the day of tabernacles. When God will be with us forever living among us, with us. That's what tabernacling means. To be incarnate, to be inside, to live together in harmony. Jesus was the first incarnate person, born with God's Spirit in one. Human body, God's Spirit in one. He was a living tabernacle. That's why the Bible says that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. He's now living in each one of us who are born again. 
And he is going to come to the point where he brings us all together when the trumpet blows. And he will bring that all together. So in the book of Leviticus, so these three feasts are coming. And they're going to manifest. And God is going to actually, we're, we're waiting anxiously for the fulfillment of those days. But today and yesterday mark the Feast of Trumpets. And look at what he says in Leviticus on that. He says, on the first day of the seventh month, that's yesterday, on the first day, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest. Why does he just say rest? But he says Sabbath rest. A sacred assembly commemorated with a trumpet blast. With, excuse me, trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present the food offering to the Lord. That's in Leviticus. The same thing is repeated in Numbers. And he puts it this way. He says, on the first day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Doesn't matter what day of the month it happens to fall on, but it's going to happen to be, in this year, it happened to be on the Saturday, the Sabbath. It is a day for you to sound the trumpets. What's interesting about this is that throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament, when he lists these different feasts, he tells them what each one is to commemorate. On the Passover, he tells them that when you celebrate the Passover and this feast, it is to remind you of how I took you out of Egypt with a strong arm. The Passover and how the angel of death came, but the Israelites were spared. And then the same thing for all the other ones, except for this one. This one, he doesn't give them any explanation other than it's a day to blow the trumpet. So the people of Israel are sort of walking in the darkness trying to figure out what these days are about. But because God said it, they do it and they don't question it any more than just trying to understand why trumpets. Well, why trumpets? Let me show you a trumpet. The trumpets that they had to the slide, please. The trumpet that they had in the Old Testament was this, an animal horn. They didn't have trumpets that they would create out of their own skill with metal initially. Later on they had, they used silver to create trumpets and they had silver trumpets that they would blow in the synagogue or in the temple. But initially, in the wilderness, all the nations of the earth, all they had was this type of a trumpet, a horn. A horn comes from a living animal. And on its own, this horn makes absolutely no sound. It requires breath to be blown through it. This horn actually represents us. It represents humanity and the deadness, the death of humanity is marked by it. As a matter of fact, when you look at this horn, and if you come close to it and try to smell it, you find that it, it usually, when you first get it, until you do things to it to help clean it up, when you first get it, it stinks like death. Because inside of it is still tiny, tiny remnants of tissue from the actual animal. Whether it's just ligament or, or whatever it is, there's stuff in here that stinks because it's actually still decaying. On its own, it makes no sound. 
it requires a breath to be blown through it. And that's what God was trying to communicate to Israel. You're like a trumpet. On your own, you don't make any sound. But you need breath to go through it. Where is breath mentioned first in the Bible? But breath is mentioned when God created humanity. He created humanity out of the dust of the earth, and then He breathed into Adam's lungs, and Adam became a living being. Breath requires a vehicle for it to manifest. I'm standing here right now, and I'm blowing my breath. You can hear it, because the mic is sensitive and it picks it up. But you don't see it. You don't see its power, you don't see its fruit, you don't see its anything. It isn't until the breath of God blows through an instrument that it has a manifestation. The same breath that a second ago was just a sound that you didn't really do anything with. But all of a sudden, when it blows through this dead instrument... It manifests and it transforms this instrument into a tool in the hands of its user to do something with it. And actually, he gives instruction to Moses to tell the people of Israel to blow two types of sounds. There's one sound called the teruah. It doesn't matter what it's called, but it's a sound to gather. It sounds like a long blast and it's meant to gather the people to assemble them. This is what he's saying. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and blow the trumpet. So they would be blowing this kind of sound. And it's a long blast and it wakes people up and it causes them to align together and to come together. It's an assembling sound. And we know that the Bible promises that the day will come when the trumpet will sound... So where do you think that trumpet is going to sound from? Is it going to be some angel with a trumpet that's going to sound in the heavens and the people of God from all generations and all locations will gather? I suspect that that's going to be part of it, but I think the more active part is when the body of Christ aligns into a shofar, into the hands of God, and the breath of the Holy Spirit blows through us to cause us to become agents of change in our society. Now listen carefully, this is really the punchline. When we come together in unity, when we come together and become no longer dead and stinky, but we allow the washing of the water and the salt of God to wash through us. That's the water of the scripture, the living water, the water that washes through us. When I got this, I had to ask Silva to give me a bag of pickling salt that's very coarse. So it would act like sandpaper inside of this. And I put water, and I sealed it on the top and bottom with elastic and saran wrap, and I kept shaking it so that the salt would begin to rub against the surface on the inside to act like sandblast and to clear it from any dead tissue that it can. So the salt of the Word, the salt of the family of God, you and I are part of the salt of the earth. We are supposed to bring to life, to remove the stench from society, with the water of the word, together with the salt of the earth, shaking and shaking to remove that. And the next thing I did, I took some anointing oil that is made up with spices and some perfumes, and I poured it inside of it from one end to the other. 
And that's just like the anointing of the Holy Spirit that fills us and the baptism of the Spirit that covers us to transform this dead instrument that stinks into a living, usable instrument into the hand of the blower. And the Feast of Trumpets speaks to us of that. That you and I have been dead in our sin for all our years. But the Lord is coming and He wants to blow through us in every one of our circumstances. Where you are, the place of work, your school, where your family, wherever, your neighbors. He wants to blow a sound that causes your neighbors to assemble to Him and be part of His assembly. He is using this as a day to remind Israel that you are not just there for your own sake. I have put you on the earth to be a light to all nations. All nations will see your glory, my glory in you, and they will come to you. And in our society today, when the church stops being a blessing in the city, in the nation, it begins to stink like the dead shofar at the beginning. We need to come to the place that we allow the washing of the water of the Spirit, the sandpapering of the salt of the goodness of God in the body of Christ, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to flow through us so that we can become instruments of good news in our society. It's the day of the trumpet. It's the day of the shofar. And it's the day before the day of atonement. A few days before the day of atonement. And we're coming to that point. So in the, in the timeline of history, God is reminding us once again, on this day, the day of trumpets, I want you to become an instrument in my hand that I can blow my sound through you that will attract people to me. I want you to be changed. I want you to, as I blow through you, I don't want the sound to be accompanied by a stink of death. I want your sound, my sound through you to be accompanied by a sweet aroma. So allow my spirit to flow through you. Allow my spirit to anoint you. Allow my water to wash you. Allow my sand, the, the grains of, of salt, to continue to purify you so that your sound is pleasant. It is a beautiful aroma that attracts people. So we are faced with a day of repentance coming up soon. And that day of repentance invites us, the day of atonement invites us, because this day, the day of temp, temp, uh, tr trumpets, is supposed to be a Sabbath rest. It's a day where you come to realize that for him to accomplish what he needs to accomplish in this shofar, you need to be totally at rest. It's not through your striving that you will become holy. It's not through your striving that you will no longer stink. It's not through your striving or your effort that you will become a pleasant smell in the hands of God. It is entirely by His doing. And it's immediately followed by the Day of Atonement. The day that the High Priest, our High Priest, Jesus, goes into the throne room and sits with the Father and reminds the Father that these children of yours, my brothers, my family, your daughters, your sons, they're stinky. But what I have done on the cross covers for them. Forgive them. And He atones for us. And it becomes a true day of atonement so that He can dwell among us. And He wants to do that here at City River with you and with me. He wants to do that in your home between you and your spouse and your children. He wants to do that even if you're living all by yourself. He wants to do that with you and all of your relationships. And He is constantly, constantly 
giving us these markers on, t- on the timeline of history so that we would come back to our senses and know that it's time for us to experience His goodness.